I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, get up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost on the Gambit DC app, online, or at any Gambit DC retail location throughout the district. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the home field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with Nancy Reed and Lisa Smith, the mother-daughter travel team and publishers of Big Blend Radio and TV Magazine and Parks and Travel Magazine. You can see them both on BigBlendMagazines.com. And you can follow us on our adventures at GoToLoveYourParksTour.com. Today, we're going to be chatting with author and journalist Cheryl Stritzel-McCarthy. And she's joining us to talk about her memoir. It's called Many Hands Make Light Work. Uh, very excited. It is out now. And you can go to her website, CherylStritzelMcCarthy.com, or you can get it on Amazon, or you can get it through She Writes Press, the publisher. Um, but it's really a really cool story about growing up in the 60s and 70s and being a, fam- a big family, a family of nine growing up in the Midwest in a college town and having parents that say, you're going to be productive and, and getting them to be productive. So very excited to have you on the show, Cheryl. Welcome. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Nancy. Hey, cool. Cool. It's good to have you here. So tell us a little bit about what led you to write a memoir. You're a journalist. Uh, your, your stories and articles are in newspapers all across the country. Uh, what was it you said, okay, now I'm going to get into the world of memoir? You know, the family I grew up in was not so unusual in the 60s and 70s, but as time passed, it has become more and more unusual. And so it was a story that became more and more intriguing and fascinating, and I decided to write it. Mm. Because this is interesting, because Nancy, you raised me as, you know, get to work, do things. And um, I was (laughs) the only child, though, but this was nine kids in a household. Um, is it was it like as soon as you could start walking that you had chores and things is that the beginning of it well we might have been a little older than that uh so my father um was a college professor at iowa state university but with a lot of kids you want to find another way to make money and so they began um acquiring um old houses in campus town where we lived and we would renovate them and rent them to students for that business to thrive, all of us had to pitch in, and that was the source of it. Um, and so, a lot of good things came from that necessity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, Nancy, did sound familiar. You were Nancy was at a family of six, right? <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's always the money thing, but there's also if you keep kids busy, they stay out of trouble. <laughs> You know, you are exactly right, Nancy. Um, you know, my father thought he had a, a soon enough had a house full of, or my parents had a house full of teenagers, and they thought we need to keep them busy, we need to keep them productive, and we need to keep them away from bad influences, which means we want them working, yes, but working within the family where it's known to be safe. Yes, and they can watch you. Yes. <laughs> but then I, even if you brought um, friends home, 
they ended up working. Well, you know, the, one of the funny things was that our friends, I mean, uh, our summers were, were spent working on old houses. That means we might have been scraping paint off the side, of a, off the clapboard of an old Victorian mansion, or cleaning out an apartment, or uh, pouring concrete, or doing all kinds of jobs. And the odd thing, while our friends were riding bikes and around and lazing at the pool, and you know, our friends actually were envy of us and wanted to join in, which we thought was kind of funny. We we seemed to always have a lot of fun together, and friends wanted to come and work with us. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. and music was a big part of it, right? Singing and and uh, yeah, it, it just seems throughout all the chapters, even some of them are titled after songs. So yeah, um, music is a big part. Is it still a part of your life now? Yeah, it is still a big part of our lives. Um, you know, we, you know, we had so many kids working on it. So dad would be teaching at the university even in the summer and mom would generally be home running a very complicated household. So that meant the nine of us kids were on the job together um, and we would be doing these this demo and construction work on these old houses in campus town in Ames, Iowa. And you know, it was the 60s and it was the 70s and um, teenagers like to play guitar and sing and we all like to harmonize and we sang all kinds of songs and it really made the workday go faster and we got pretty good at it too but it really it really made it a lot more fun do you think that that helped you um, get along better I mean nine kids I mean Nancy you've told me all kinds of crazy stories with you with your yes. upbringing uh, with having you know being six kids but do you think music helped, um, you know, harmonizing, right? Getting together and working together, that it helped in that way? Yeah, we, we kind of liked, as we got better at it, we, were, we kind of felt proud of our singing and actually proud of the, the jobs we could learn to do too. I mean, we got to be, we got to be pretty good at painting and renovation and, uh, as I said, pouring concrete and uh, taking care of landscaping. We got to be good at all, good at all that, and it, it became a source of pride. Mm. That what gardening was big in mm -hmm. our family. It, we all had a section of the garden that we had to take care of, and we all had our own dog. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. See, that, yeah. that's cool. I think it's interesting now because everything seems so digital, so technology-driven, so um, I'm I'm worried that skills basic skills are being lost and that's what i love about your memoir and what you're doing uh, by sharing this story is that you're reminding us that kids can have skills like i learned how to sew i learned how to do my buttons and you know if something's broke you're going to learn how to fix it and i feel like now the younger generation may not be getting those skills that that are needed for a, at least understanding how things work yeah we did get a big understanding of how things worked and um, you know, the other thing was that I, our, our parents and possibly other parents of that era had the attitude that we could, we could do it. And they believed in us so thoroughly and left us really to, to get on with the job. I mean, they trained us in the beginning and then they let, let us do it. So we just um, got that idea that we were capable. I mean, we, they just made us feel like we were going to be successful and that attitude carries on to other things. Mm. That, nice. I like that responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, if you take, yeah, take ownership of something that you've created or done or worked on. Yeah. Uh, did that help you go through college, getting through, you know, getting into journalism? You know, journalism, Nancy and I know about this, that you live on deadlines and yes. you've got to, you can't, you can't be a baby about it. You got to do it. So having that uh, sense of responsibility, did that help you 
in, in your career today as a journalist? Yeah, yes, I definitely think it did. I mean, just the feeling that it doesn't matter whether you feel like doing it or not. It doesn't matter that if you have all the information or not. It mm. doesn't matter anything. People are counting on you to produce and you will produce. Um, yes, that was good training for journalism. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. You know, it's, um, the truth, right? The, the truth is supposed to be paramount, you know, and like if you can't get all these things, you can't you use all these words that are like, well, it's possible that, <laughs> you know, instead of just like this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. And sometimes I wonder about today's journalism, if that has kind of strayed. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting part of the world. <laughs> it's getting yeah. journalism is. Do you run into to very much trouble as a journalist with people? Well, um, you know, really, it's it's just a matter of. I mean, when I'm doing an interview, I feel like it's my job to ask the right questions and to get mm -hmm. to the heart of the story, no matter what obstacles are in the way. Uh, that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the fun of it. I mean, the. The most fun in journalism is talking to people and gathering the information. The hard part is writing the story afterwards and organizing it and being concise and precise. Mm. But, um, yeah, as a journalist, it's just, it's my job to get mm -hmm. to the heart of the story, wherever it is, however it is. And now what it's, what's it like being interviewed? <laughs> All the time. Thank you. Yes. It's different being on this side of the microphone, this side of the pen. Yeah, yeah, to suddenly have the, the roles reversed. Do you think you'll continue writing in this way or, or even get into fiction? You know, I'm, I'm not going to write fiction because I've just spent so many years being a journalist. And uh, as a reader, I, that's one reason. And, and also as a reader, I just much prefer real life stories, biography, memoir. And so I'm going to continue writing that kind of thing. I, um, I, I write a lot, a lot of uh, lifestyle features for newspapers in how-to. In other words, I interview experts and put them together with interesting stories and write some how-to features. And my next book will be about that. It will be about how to get along with in-laws, both um, <laughs> older than you and younger than you. So I have some experience now on both sides, and it's, it's a fascinating topic. And uh, I, I think everybody wants to be successful at that relationship. So that's my next book. See, I, I like this where it's reality-based, um, you know, that it, the memoir, I think, is a very powerful learning tool. Did you yeah. think about that with this, you know, coming out, uh, that people can really learn to work together as a team, families unite, you know, that kind of unity? Um, do you think, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a tool, like a learning tool for youth yeah. and for parents, even? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, get get it out there. Get people to have that responsibility. I think it needs to go to colleges. <laughs> I like that idea. I it's like a that idea. College town. And then so working together, do do what's the rest of your family, have they, you know, like followed interesting career paths? And, you know, because I know that one point you talk about, you know, there, there was a little bit of squabbling that did happen. There's nine kids. But are, are two of your sisters mediators now? Yes. And that's funny because... Um, you know, people ask, well, how did you resolve arguments? Hey, what's up? It's Alex Morgan. And for me, the start of the new year is all about committing to you from day one. Body Armor's got you and here to help you commit to your fitness goals. Buy any Body Armor products at your local store and Body Armor will give you 50% cash back to put towards your fitness journey. Now through March 31st, commit to fit with Body Armor Sports Drink. 
Visit www.bacommittofit.com for full rules. And shop now at retailers nationwide. Like any kids, I mean, at one point, um, they start, they, an argument devolved into a wrestling match between two of my sisters. But funny <laughs> enough, those sisters um, grew up to be um, peacemakers and, in fact, professional mediators. Oh, That's wow. funny. Wow. wow. So any, any, kind of, any kind of family life, no matter how many kids, one or ten, is a crucible for learning to get along with people. And uh, so I think it's, fun. it's fun and funny that it turned out that way. Mm. Yeah, my two younger brothers are fraternal twins. And, you know, they really fought a lot. They're good <laughs> friends now, but when they were growing up, it was, and they were quite a bit younger than the rest of us. They really, really talk about wrestling matches. I mean, yeah. it was nonstop. And so I don't know if being the youngest ones had something to do with it. Because there were so, it's like they had all these parents. Yes, yeah. there's lots of that. And I was the youngest of the five girls. And sometimes I felt like I had four extra moms. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That. And you, yeah, yeah. you can't talk back, right? You can't no. talk back to them. But on the other hand, if I started to stray, like in junior high, if I started to go down the wrong path, my sister, just two years older than I, would set me straight immediately and say, we don't do that. We don't go that way. And there was a real sense of, of unity in the family. In other words, we, we hang together. We're a group. We're a team. We're a tribe. Mm. What about routine? I know faith is a big part of your life, you know, growing up together, but routine and having that kind of like a system going in the house and, and especially, you know, uh, you know, having a system with, um, you know, what happens in the morning. How important is that, do you think, for uh, folks to get together um, and be more productive and, you know, unite? Because that, that seemed to be something that's a running thread. In fact, that's really a critical part of it. And so you think of three things um, in my parents' approach to building family. The first one is structure and stability. Um, and mealtimes were just a huge part of that. In other words, and with that many people in the family, you would have chaos if you did not have structure. But mm. also structure is very calming and um, good for children because they they know that they can count on things so for example breakfast was served every morning at 7 30 we would all come into our places no one would eat anything at all or pick up a fork until we'd said our before meal prayer then everybody could start to eat and you know the meal times were lively and noisy and fun but still organized and then no one would leave the table until everyone was finished and the after meal prayer had been said and then the breakfast was over. So breakfast was always like that. And then dinner at 5.30 every evening was the same. So there was nothing like wandering downstairs in the morning and helping yourself to a bowl of cereal and sitting in front of the television. It, it, it just didn't, it just wouldn't happen that way. We would never have eaten, we would never have begun until everyone was there and the prayer was said. So there was some, there's something to be said for that, for that structure. It sounds rigid, but really it wasn't, it was freeing and you could count on it. Mm, I like did that. You keep the same chairs at the table. Always. Like you had your seat. Yeah. Always. We, people just do that, don't they? Yeah, all of a sudden, that's your chair. And if you sit somewhere else, here comes a fight. 
and and, and I at, our, at our table, we sometimes put older ones next to younger ones to help to help the little ones. Oh, well, see, so good. there's that responsibility and connectivity, helping each other right at the at the get go. I like that. Yeah, and there was a real there was a real sense of you whatever you did, you would help the group. And the meal times were like that. It it was like you just you wouldn't you wouldn't just go feed yourself. No, you would you would make sure that everyone was fed at the at the same time. So mm -hmm. so that was kind of that was structure and stability is something that anybody can do, and it is um, it's helpful for little kids, especially if you have a complicated or chaotic life. It's a source of um, peace. Mm. Yeah, I think you have to, especially, you know, that many kids in a family and then, you know, there's, you know, businesses going on and construct, and that's the thing too with construction, it's deadline oriented, right? Yes. And, and people can get hurt, you know? <laughs> so you've got to have those rules so that, you know, it's a little bit safer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Except for when you go babysitting and apparently, you know, the family has a lion. I well, like that. <laughs> it's an almost unbelievable story, but it is as true as the rest of the book. And, you know, in 1972, I was 13 and I was babysitting as lots of um, girls and boys did and do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our parents just didn't get that involved in, in our lives. And one thing they didn't do was vet the people we were babysitting for because they just never expected this kind of thing. But that job should have been easy. Uh, I went to a family to babysit. I was 13 years old and they only had one baby. He was asleep when I arrived. So I thought it was gonna be a easy night. I come in and the, they have a, an unusual pet and the pet is on top of the couch and I was terribly, terribly frightened of it. As you should be. <laughs> Nancy used to take care of lions. Yes. Away. So I, yeah, so I enjoyed that part because the, the first time I bought, um, I not bought, but brought home um, lion cubs that were about three months old. And um, those were rambunctious. And I attempted to build a, an outdoor cage for them that was big so they could run off some of the energy. And I built it out of chicken wire. And um, I remember one day seeing all the lions, because I ended up with five or six of them at one time, calmly walking down the street in Sunland, California. And I'm like, uh-oh, the pride's out. What am I going to do? <laughs> I, oh get them <laughs> I, I have to just say that she did not own them as pets. These were, um, she was helping raise them uh, for Tippi Hedren, who... Right. The actress, yeah. So yeah. not only was there birds, there were lions, and um, she, all the animals yeah. kept getting sick. It wasn't really a positive thing, but no, uh, it, yeah, but it was scary at times because they do just like all of a sudden they they look at you like, well, that's a moving toy. Let me jump on it. And I remember one attacking me from behind and clawing my sides and biting my back until I could get them off. You know, so I understand the. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, that I never went back to that babysitting job, but you're exactly right. I mean, at one point, the baby woke up, and I had to fix his bottle, so I, I had to turn my back to the lion, mm. who was loose in their living room. I mean, this is just unbelievable, and even at the That's time, crazy. I thought, are you kidding me? But yeah. I had to open the fridge to get the milk and pour it, and as I was pouring <laughs> milk into the bottle, that lion sprang. And he, he snapped at my back, but I arched away and he tore a hole in my sweatshirt. That's um, funny. 
So it was quite a, you know, it was quite a night. And that's chapter 23 in Many Hands Make Light Work. Um, yeah. But it was a long and terrible night, but it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating story now. And I yeah. yeah, it is funny now, but I can understand because it yeah. is, you can't turn your back. You really well, can't. That's in life. You shouldn't ever turn your back on anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, yeah, that that night I turned that back on the lion on my back on my back on the lion to pour that milk for the baby. And oh man, that was a mistake. Mm. Yep. Yeah, but but you followed through. You know, now you think about when you're talking about at the table. You know, everybody has their chair, and and you have like you know everybody's quiet. There's prayer time, then conversation. You yeah. know, it doesn't sound like. Like if, if your family was to be in the same situation today, what would happen with cell phones? And like, if you had cell phones at that time and you're babysitting, would you have tried to go, okay, that's it. Someone needs to come take over. I mean, cause it's interesting about, you know, the two different eras, but at the same time, um, you stuck with your job, even though you were terrified. You know, I was terrified and it never occurred to me not to finish the job. And now I think, why didn't I get out of there? Why didn't I do a million other things? But at the time, I thought, I've been hired to do this job, and mm -hmm. I will do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I did. And I, I kept thinking of creative ways to put a barrier between me and the lion, which is the source of a lot of funny stuff in that chapter. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it is yeah, funny. It never, it never occurred to me not to finish. And... Yeah. It didn't occur to me to complain. Uh, you know, the other thing, and this is maybe not so good, at, at age 13 in those days, we were taught to be polite to adults, and I was mm. still polite. And I was still polite when the people came home. And um, now I wonder I should have spoken up for myself more. But anyway, live and learn on that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I found I didn't need permits to have lions when I had tigers and things in my backyard. But I did have to get a permit when I got a goat. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. You can have all these exotic animals, but you get a goat or a pig, you need a permit. Huh. Isn't that yeah. weird? Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's odd. So now you're based up in Washington State, right? Yeah. Um, we live in Bellingham, which is um, a city of 90,000 people halfway between Seattle and Vancouver, right on the West Coast, right on the water. What is that like going from living in the Midwest? Because I always thought, you know, maybe there's that, we haven't been through the Midwest yet. We're getting there. It's coming real close. Okay. Um, but I've always had this, you know, image of just this viewpoint of, you know, Midwestern family. It's kind of like these traditional values, you know, just kind of what you've described in your, your life, your life story and or growing up. And so I was wondering if that, when you moved to Washington, uh, was that a big change? Yes, it was a cultural change. And um, my husband and I have moved quite a bit a couple times overseas in, during our married life. And um, even so, you know, moving from uh, the Midwest. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? 
not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trials. To the West Coast is definitely a cultural change. Mm. Um, you know, it's, and it's part of what makes life interesting too. Um, I get to know people who are different than I and our close friends now are, are really different, um, different values sometimes than what we had in the Midwest, but we like it. We love it. And we're staying there. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Mm, it's a nice and, area. And your family was also very open in regards to who you were friends with in different backgrounds. Yeah, actually. So think about this. Growing up in, um, in many hands make light work, growing up in that family, there were nine kids in a big old house. But since we lived so close to campus, we also took college student boarders into our home to live with us. And so um, that we, we had people living with us from across the country and across the globe. Lots of very different cultures, lots of very different religions. And this, again, think of it in the 70s, that was a different time. But we had living with us like um, Muslim students, um, Buddhist students, we had students from South Africa and um, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Taiwan, lots of different cultures. Um, And, you know, it never occurred to us to treat them differently and everybody who came to live with us, we just sort of thought they would be like our brothers and sisters. And really our college students always felt that and responded in kind. So it was astonishingly harmonious. And I wonder if it was because we didn't know any better. We didn't know to be afraid or think of them different. We thought they would be just like us. And on a very basic human level, they were. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And having the different religious backgrounds, because your family's Catholic, and here, here's a Buddhist, and here's a Muslim, you know, we lived, uh, when we lived in Kenya, we lived with a, a Muslim family, and we've done a lot of interviews on that, and in regards to that you can't just blanket one type of people and go, this is that, because it's not true, you know, and so when we end up in conversations where people think, oh, you know, be scared of Muslim people. We're like, what are you talking about? You right. know, I understand yeah. you've got some radical crazies and you have radical crazies and of, of every color, every skin kind. Background, you know? Uh, so yeah. it's, it's such a good background to have that um, immersion and to live together. That's really, I think, important. You, that it was it. Beyond. Yeah. We did, we did live together and we were, they were in the bedroom next to us and we were studying together and gabbing on the phone together eating together, you know, um, just living together in every, in every sense. And it, it just didn't occur to us to think that they would be different from us. And again, on a very human level, they were just like us. Mm-hmm. Even during Ramadan, when our, you know, we, I told you we always ate at 5.30 sharp every night, except when we had a Muslim student living with us, my mother would keep her dinner um, aside so that she could eat after sundown during Ramadan. And, you know, we didn't think anything about that. We did, we thought, well, that's not too different from a Catholic Lent season. Yeah. I mean, these mm-hmm. are seasons of learning self-discipline and uh, restraint and we understood it. It was just, it was just never any big deal. And I think part of when I mean, we had um, college students 
living with us in our home for nearly 30 years and we never had any theft and we never locked our doors. Wow. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can do the non-locking of doors anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, but think about that. We had no theft in nearly 30 years. That's amazing. Yeah, That's amazing. it was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, because Nancy, um, in South Af we lived in South Africa, and she had a magazine there. And, you know, it was like my last year of high school, suddenly all my friends were living with us. So it's like, yeah. I think it's kind of happened throughout the years. It just kind of, you know, hey, we've got an extra room here. Sure, you can stay here and whatever. If there's a time of need with a friend or a family, you know, family friend. And nothing really bad happened, you know, right. it's like. And you kind of all work together on things, even, you know, somebody who's making dinner tonight, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. It was, it was a, yeah, that was cool. I remember even, um, remember Derek, Nancy taught me Afrikaans mm -hmm. better than what I was getting in school. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny when uh, my dad passed away, my, I flew my mom out to Kenya to stay with us for a while. And she um, uh, really, I have to say, after having such a big family and having to be flexible, she found going to a different country totally um, crazy for her. She couldn't get past certain things in that country. She did end up living in Mexico and seemed to handle that. But in Kenya, like the bread, when you bought bread, it wasn't wrapped. And she couldn't, she just could not handle the idea that the bread wasn't wrapped. So they were, all of a sudden, no, I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. I can't eat that out of there. I was like, boy, you better go home because I don't know what to feed you. That's because of not having that connection, those you know, yeah, cultural it was immersion. Where did you live when you said you, you lived overseas? Oh, we lived in London twice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we lived yeah. in England too for a little bit. Yeah. It's, and that is a, that's a culture shock. It is. That was you know, fun. Surprisingly, and um, it, it was a lot of fun. And that was the cultural shock most of the time was a lot of fun. Once in a while, it was difficult. But mostly it was just the source of a lot of laughs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the language is different. It's, you oh, know, yeah. it is different. But yeah, I think, again, like traveling and having that connection with, you know, different, uh, you know, youth and living together, I think that is just, it's, I, I wish more of that happened. And I think, you know, as college is changing, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot is being done online, I kind of feel like you kind of miss that immersion, you know, and that's the one place. If, if kids go to college, they're starting to, you know, connect with people from around the world in a way. It's kind of like a, a mini, mini world <laughs> when you go to college. It is. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of a, a miss on that part of it. So with, when you wrote this, you know, when you, you know, many hands make light work. I love that. I love that saying, because I think also we've become very solo in what we do. You know that as a writer, we become solo. Right. So there's that part, I think, as we have all this technology, do you think that we're missing teamwork these days? You know, yeah, a little bit. Although um, I know that software developers absolutely work in teams. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But Interesting. Yeah, um, there's there's something about doing chores together and working together with your hands on a task. And you know the place that we live. I mean, landscaping and houses do need keeping up, and those are those are tasks that we need to work together on, and those are never going to go away. Mm. And yeah, there's there's something to be gained by that. 
certainly by working together. Mm. I, I agree. What did your family think yeah. about you doing a memoir and writing about them? Well, they were, they were, um, a, uh, mostly delighted, but a little bit wary. I say, it's like, what did you put in there? What did you put in there? But yeah, what did you say? They had a chance to read it, and they enjoyed it. And most of them have said, "Well, we've all been meaning to write that story for so years. Now one of us has done it. So good, it's out there. That story needed to be written. It needed to be told. It's a lot of laughs. It's you know, it's an upbeat and lighthearted and a fun book." Um, mm -hmm. One of my critics, one of the critics said, this is the most cheerful childhood memoir you will ever read. Right. It, you know what? It's nice. It's refreshing. Yeah. It's very refreshing. Do you see yourself doing book clubs and having these kind of conversations about, you know, working together and, you know, just how do we work together and, and do some of the basic life skills? Oh, yeah, certainly. I've got, um, I'm speaking to lots of book clubs across the country. And in fact, I'm just going to issue a blanket invitation now. If you're in a book club, um, go on my website and uh, contact me. And uh, I will come virtually via FaceTime or Skype or maybe in person to your book club to your discussion. So we could have some fun with that. Yeah. And again, if your book club wants a lighthearted and entertaining read, this is a really good choice for that. I think everybody in the world of flipping houses should read it. <laughs> yeah, another another critic said it's uh, part um, part parenting manual, part childhood memoir, and um, part home improvement manual. <laughs> so well, people kind of, love that, you know. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, because I mean, it's I think that is I, I there's so much and there's creativity to it. See, that's yeah. the other part of it. What led you to become a journalist and get into the world of writing? You know, I think all of, actually, all of us growing up, all of my siblings and I were all such readers. And um, there's one part in the book where um, we're scraping wallpaper off this old house and the ceiling falls on us and we all run out and um, we're all hoping to get the rest of the afternoon off. And as we think of, oh, you know, what, what we could do with a Saturday, after, a, Sunday, a summer afternoon off, we think, you know, um, we could we could lay out, lay in the backyard under a fruit tree on a blanket with a book. See, that's... And mm -hmm. we're all readers. I mean, that was such a treat for us. And so, you know, working with words was something I have always done. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think trips to the library with, with when you're a child is exciting, you know? And I think it, that habit, once that's formed, I mean, we use the library a lot. We never bought books. It was always go to the, the local library, no matter where we lived. And I think when you start out that way, you end up writing and reading forever. Mm -hmm. Yes, agreed. And uh, we, when we were quite young, and the trips to the Ames Public Library in Ames, Iowa, were just, those were, those were memorable days. And, yeah. you know, we were always, you know, we were, restraint was on everything else, but at the library, we, we could get as many books as we wanted, and yeah. my mother didn't put a number on it, and I just remember coming out with stacks, and we did read them. Mm -hmm. See, oh, yeah, because, yeah. and it also shows you how big the world is, you yes. know, it's a, it's a very humbling experience, and yet extremely exciting and, and inspiring, you know, libraries, it's like, Wow, That's you can awesome. find out about what happened in this country, and I didn't know there was this country, or you know what I mean. And it just, and also the fantasy part of it is really cool. Going to different, you know, worlds, yeah. different eras, time machines, <laughs> whatever it is, it is. 
pegged that exactly right. You pegged that exactly right. It's a dip. A book is it's a dip into a different world, mm. and sometimes sometimes they're entertaining, and sometimes they're entertaining and have something to teach us too, something we can use. Mm. So growing up, you know, because you think about what you do as journalism, you're writing memoirs, so you're very let's fact driven person, right? Yet memoirs read like a, a, like a novel to me. I love memoirs and biographies. That's my my favorite thing. But growing up, were you in that way, or were you reading fiction? Oh, reading a lot of fiction when I was younger, but historical fiction remains my favorite. Absolutely yeah. my favorite. And even, even as a kid, historical fiction was the way to go. Um, but now, now as an adult, I'm much more interested in biography and memoir that the stories of real people are fascinating. And yeah. especially, you know, history told through the lives of commonplace people. That is the most interesting of all. How do ordinary people live and how did they live? Mm. And that, that's one thing I, I had fun with, with Many Hands Make Light Work, is that it's the recent past. It's very recent past. It's already different, though. And how, mm. how did ordinary people live? And it kind of ordinary people and people who were not quite so ordinary. How was it in the recent past? Mm. I love that, too. And that's important because, yeah, biography is always, oh, it's, you know, Keith Richards. And yes, he's still alive. You know, <laughs> you know how did he get here? Yes. But it is, I love the ordinary stories, too, because there is a lot of strength in, in the ordinary life. That, to me, is a strength, is to live a normal, regular life in a normal, regular town. Because we do extreme, we're kind of extreme in what we do. Let's travel across the country. Let's do, you know, but then there's that. To sit put in a town, could you imagine doing that? Like living in one town your whole life and maybe running a grocery store and there's some that there's strength to that. And that's what I like to read too. Yeah, and I think, for example, if you want to learn about the Middle Ages, it's much more interesting to read about the lives of ordinary serfs, who of course are very, very different from us, their lives from us today, rather than reading about the lives of royalty back there. I mean, back then, most people didn't live like that. But what was it like to be an ordinary person in the Middle Ages? I think that's where history is most fascinating. Yeah, man, and we've come a long way. In some ways, better you know and then some ways I go well sometimes yeah. you know I just want a little farm <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like that because we were run by the royals you know what I mean <laughs> so it, it's a little different but wow wow very exciting to chat with you and congrats on the memoir everybody it's out now go get it many hands make light work that's an awesome title where did you get that from? Many hands make light work has always been our family's motto. And it's because there were so many of us and there was so much work to do. But um, it became kind of our identity. I mean, that we were many hands and we made light work. And also it came about because from the very early years, it was a favorite saying of my father's. So for example, think like we have a dozen, maybe we have a dozen properties in Campus Town and on a snowy winter morning, we have to get up and shovel the snow from all the properties before the students who are inside wake up and go to class. So dad would wake us up about 4.30 or 5 on a school day morning in Iowa after a blizzard. And we'd all be waking up and we'd know that getting awakened that early on a winter's morning could mean only one thing. We were going to have to shovel. We were going to have to shovel snow. And he was always cheerful about it and saying, and he would wake us up saying, come on, let's go. Many hands make light work. And we just hated it, of course. 
but then once we got outdoors and we were all and the world it was beautiful out there and we were all working together and we clear one property after another i mean some of them had lots of sidewalks and one had a parking lot so it was a lot of work but we it, it we we started to have fun once we got out there and worked at it and um but many hands make light work is what he always said when there was a job to be done so sometimes we hated it and sometimes we liked it oh i see but that's true right nancy was that kind of like for you too growing that's up like like snowball fight that's what would happen in our family oh right? we had some of that we definitely yeah, had some sure. of that and that's in that chapter too of making snow angels and yeah. throwing snowballs at each other and get, but uh getting the work done but getting awakened in those early early mornings and it was pitch black outside and there was a blizzard and there were 12 houses covered with snow and it was our job to clear the snow oh wow it's it you know it sounds so crazy now because it's summer <laughs> you I know. know you can't even think that but when people read this in in winter um they're gonna they're gonna crack up you know they're gonna be like we i don't want to get out of bed just keep reading the book you know yeah yes exactly awesome well, thank you so much again for joining us everyone it's cheryl stritzel mccarthy and the book again is many hands make light work a memoir you can get it now through she writes press you can get it on amazon all those great places or you can go to cheryl's website cheryl and we want to thank jks communications uh, for always setting us up with these awesome interviews with authors and also uh, they've sent us on a story assignment across the country as we travel to find literary stories and so far uh, Cheryl you'll like this our first one we ended up finding out we were in uh, John Steinbeck's uh, family uh, area uh, his grandparents where his grandparents lived and um, where East of Eden was written we just right now we're in um, Colorado where he well near where he wrote uh, what's his name oh my gosh Michener James Michener uh, taught and also wrote uh, Centennial based on the region so we're doing all kinds of cool things, <laughs> thanks awesome. to JKS. Um, but everyone, you can keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Our shows air Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. And uh, you can keep up with the author interviews also at BlendRadioAndTV.com. So Cheryl, your song today, we're playing Stepping Stones. It's by Kimia P. Penton. And it's from her album, Where the Rain Falls, not the snow, <laughs> Where the Rain Falls. Uh, and she's lived around the world, including London. And um, she, this is a song about, you know, her family and, and really appreciating her family background. So uh, everyone, you can keep up with Kimia at KimiaPMusic.com. Thanks so much, Cheryl. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Lisa. Have You're a wonderful uh, book launch. And uh, we can't wait to hear how it's going to be a bestseller. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My first steps were a celebration Mom and Dad watching me grow With every orbit of the sun There's much more I got to know As the seasons change And I was fully grown I was more than made By the love they sold Mom and Dad's story didn't always make sense 
They came from a different time With different pains But the courage that I stand on Is the example that they gave My first stepping stones Were the lives they led Two degrees later out to the city on my own Working at the corner office On the 21st floor Thinking how far I come And where I could go Taking in the whole world But I'm missing I wish for a different time A better place If I was building bridges If I built a fence Mom and Dad's wisdom Was my one defense If the noise in the in my head I find my way home to hear the words they say those familiar ones the laughter and tears wash away my fears Mom and Dad's story didn't always make sense they came from a different From the lives they live 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only. Right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.